0: Well, let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of Your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and Your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what You say to us today. Amen. Amen. I also want to thank those who moved to the front. Some of our uh, back folks moved to the front this morning, and uh, I appreciated them doing that. It just feels feels more connected. Okay. Well, we're, we're looking at John 14 as far, part of the Advent series, and Advent, of course, is a time of expectation. And one of the things that we're expecting as Christians is one day we will find our way home, our way home to heaven. And so uh, a natural thing to ask, it begs the question, if we say, well, we're waiting to go to heaven, the question is... How do we get there? And that was the question that's asked of Jesus in John 14. Uh, Thomas, after Jesus has said uh, the very familiar words, which we normally hear at funerals, but uh, in my Father's house there are many rooms or many mansions or there is enough space for you, uh, different translations of that. But uh, what Jesus is assuring his disciples of, don't worry, you will have a place in heaven. I'm going to prepare that place in my Father's house for you. And when I return, you know, you will you will be there with me. And so, uh, uh, and he says, and you know the way. And Thomas says, Wait, <laughs> I'm not sure. Do I really know the way? What is the way? And uh, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I think I've shared before one of uh, the things in seminary that I found amazing was uh, several times during my time in seminary. We had discussions about what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? And uh, if you look at polls and surveys of of church members and and people, uh, Christians, you see a lot of people have have varied views on salvation and the way we are saved and through whom we are saved. And I understand the the motivation uh, in the human heart, to want to be politically correct at times, or to want to, I hate that term in a way, it's overused, but to want to be uh, in our hearts merciful to people enough that we don't say to them, well, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. If we're talking to somebody who is a Muslim or Hindu or, or, uh, or Buddhist or whatever the religion or faith, we want to be inclusive people. That's the spirit of our age. And we want to be people who... Uh, don't say something that's going to somehow set us apart from other people. A lot of people have that spirit in them. It's not necessarily a bad spirit, but Jesus talked about, you know, if uh, the world is going to hate you, Uh, my word, I've given you my word, and now the world is going to hate you because of it. Um, there are plenty of scriptures and indications that being a Christian is a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, which may bring you pain and suffering in your life. It may cause division. He says, I haven't come, uh, you know, for the sake of unity. I have come, and that because of me, there will be division. Families will be divided, and, and uh, you know, friends will be divided against each other because of Jesus Christ. And so when we make the commitment to follow Jesus Christ, it isn't making a commitment to a worldwide unity movement to try to bring all people together, but it is try to bring everybody down that same path, that same way, that same road, following Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. And, and you know, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he doesn't say, I am the way for some people. And, And God will provide other ways for other people. Now, in no way am I taking away from, from God the, uh, the judgment and the ability to save anyone who God wants to save. God, in His grace, knows human hearts. God, in His grace, knows whether or not someone ever had the opportunity to follow Jesus Christ or not. God knows all these things, and so he will, make, he will be the final judge, judge of that all. But we know if we hear God's word and we hear the invitation and, and God has opened up by his prevenient grace the opportunity for us to follow Jesus Christ, that we have had that opportunity and the choices before us. And at that point, we must follow Jesus Christ. We must take up that cross and follow him. And then we are judged upon that. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. I believe that. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And yet it's amazing in seminary how many times we would have discussions around that, and there was division, and there, was, there were disagreements, and people said, I just don't believe that. I don't accept it. And what, one of the most popular illustrations, I know I've had somebody in this church say that a pastor shared this with them uh, years ago, and it just meant the world to them. They understood. It just it cleared everything up. And I also heard it when I was about 12 years old from a Methodist pastor. I wasn't a Methodist, but the pastor lived across the street. The parsonage was there. I heard the same exact illustration that a member of our church said that they had heard. And... Uh, And it sounds good. It sort of makes sense on one level. It says, okay, there is a destination, Uh, say National Airport in Washington uh, or Reagan Airport. And uh, the uh, folks are trying to get to National Airport. Do they all have to come from Atlanta? Do they all have to fly on Delta? Do they all have to come from Los Angeles? No, no. There are many places that people can come from and many different airlines that they can fly on. The fact is they'll all make it international. And that was this pastor's way of saying to me, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have the destination. So if you want to get to heaven, you'll get there no matter if you get there through Muhammad or or Buddha, or whoever. It doesn't have to be through Jesus Christ. Well, you know, that bothered me. I didn't see that as... It it bothered me because it was contradictory to God's Word. And even at 12, I mean, I was very serious about the Bible growing up as a kid. And I knew that's not what the Bible said. And that there was an offensiveness to the Gospel. There was an offensiveness to the message of Jesus. Jesus brings... Uh, an offensive message with him as he comes into the world, and that is, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so offensive was his message that many in Israel did not accept him, and they rejected him, and he was crucified because of that. And even in the early church, the church grew uh, despite the fact that the message of the gospel was contrary to to the common wisdom and religions of that day in that culture. And so the Christians came under great persecution. But then somehow it seems like today that what we are saying as Christians is we're done with times of per- persecution, we're done, done with the time of offensiveness of the message, and we want to have a, well, some would say a kumbaya moment with the world. We want everybody to just gather around, take hands and have warm, fuzzy feelings about each other and forget the truth. The fact of the matter is, if I say uh, to a, uh, to an Orthodox Muslim that there are many ways to get to heaven and I believe that you can get there through through Muhammad just as I can get there through Jesus, that Muslim will be offended by that message. They don't believe that. Uh, you know, I've I've had discussions with Muslims. They have a belief that they adhere to, and they believe. Uh, they believe that Jesus existed. They believe that he was a good man. They believe that he was a prophet, but they don't believe he is the way to God. They don't believe he is the truth. They don't believe that life comes through Jesus. And so we're in this world, and I guess the question that we're at the 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 place that we're being uh, forced into by the times. And maybe the opportunity we're being given by God is to either be people who stand up for Christ and say this is the message, not in a hateful way, not in a way that says somehow that we are better because of this, but to simply say, by God's grace, I have received this word, and by God's grace, I have been tasked with sharing that word. And I do it without judgment or condemnation. I let the word, God's word, judge or condemn but that's not ours to do. So we do this with love, but at the same time we have to do it with with courage, and we have to do it with the understanding this is the cost of being a Christian. It's the cost of discipleship. And so and so we you know we've come to this place in the United Methodist Church and in many churches and many mainline churches where we're being confronted with these decisions. Where will we stand? And uh, uh, today Jesus uh, in telling. And I'm going to wrap this up because uh, I know I'm going to go past the time I promised you if I don't. But we are at a time of great decision about this. Now, here's what I want to tell us, tell you this morning. is As I was reading this this week and I was thinking about what does it mean that Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you or a room for you or a mansion for you. What does that mean exactly? Does it mean that Jesus' uh, role, once he left this earth, he ascended into heaven, and then he put on a carpenter's belt and put on all his tools, and he just went into construction. Does it mean he took all the skills he had learned, uh, you know, at the feet of Joseph, his father, as a carpenter, and, he, and he's now up in heaven using those skills to build us mansions? If you took it very literally, that's, that's what you might think. But I'd look at the context here. Jesus has just had the Last Supper uh, with his disciples uh, Judas has set out to betray him, and and Jesus uh, realizes that his disciples at this point are at a low point. They are discouraged. What is going on? For a while, we thought that the kingdom of heaven was, or the king, uh, kingdom of God was going to be established on earth, and that we would sit at the at the table with Jesus ruling over this. We thought there was glory in this, and now he's talking about dying talking about what sounds like defeat to us. And so they're very low at this point. And so Jesus says to them, now, listen here, I want you to know this, that there is a place for you in my father's house. And I'm going to go prepare that way for you. And the way we usually think of that, as I said before, is that Jesus somehow has gone up there and he's set aside a place for us and that's it. But as I was reading the scripture this week, I thought, "What is what did Jesus do immediately after this discourse, this talk with his disciples. And what has he been doing ever since? And here's, as you go through scriptures, here's what you know. To prepare the way for us to go to heaven, to find that place for us in heaven that he has prepared for us, Jesus first had to go to the cross. Without the cross, nobody was going to heaven. No one would have a place in heaven. So the cross was the first task. He had to walk that road to the cross to open the way for us. And then he, uh, having uh, uh, gone to the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be uh, have eternal life, now he has defeated death in the resurrection. And in defeating death now... He ascends into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, you might think at that point, you know, it tells us that in Hebrews, that he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He's sitting on the throne there uh, in in, in Acts. Uh, Stephen, as he's being martyred, as he's being killed, he, he, he looks up and he sees Jesus there. And you say, okay, what Jesus is doing is he's become a couch potato. He's just sitting there waiting for the second coming. He's just sitting there on the throne doing nothing. Some people, I think, think of it that way. But we have other indications throughout the scriptures that Jesus actually is extremely active through all of creation at this very point. Right now, today, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is in each one of you who believe in him. You have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that is the Spirit of Christ living in you. Jesus is, not only was he the propitiation for your sin, but also as he Uh, within the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus is also there um, taking our side for us. You know, there are fancy words for this, but that's the best way you can describe it, is Jesus is continually advocating for us before the Father. That, yes, Bob's going through a hard time. Yes, Bob right now seems to be more a servant of the devil than he is of God. But right now, my spirit is working in him to overcome this, and I'm going to ensure that God makes it, that Bob makes it through this. This is this is the role that we're told that Jesus has through the Holy Spirit, and, and also as an advocate before God. He's our defense lawyer before God, and 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 always uh, we are under His grace because of what He has done for us on the cross. So Jesus. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you, what he's saying is, I'm going (laughs) and I'm going to have a full-time vocation for your benefit so that one day you will have that place in heaven. So Jesus continues his work for us. I think that's, that's just an amazing thing. And when I think of that, I think of how cheaply sometimes we treat the Son of God We set him aside. We say to folks, well, Jesus isn't any more special than any other religious leader that was out there. We may not say that exactly, but that's how we treat him. We treat him as a wise teacher of morality. We teach him as somebody who came and lived a good life of example, but we forget that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And all things in in the universe are held together by him, we're told in Colossians. So so that dedication to Jesus, to his word, is a Christian's full-time vocation. We don't have a choice on this. We can't go and make deals for God. Can you imagine if I went overseas and started having treaties with other countries on behalf of the United States, (laughs) you know, without being appointed to do that? And sometimes we go out and we sort of ignore the Bible and we, we, we move past what we read in it And instead, we use our human wisdom to try to strike up relationships with people. And we don't tell them the truth about what Christianity is and what it says. And so this might cause some people, I'm going to wrap up here, to say, then why in the world am I a Christian? Who would want to be in a position where in this world you are in the world but not of the world? where what you believe, what you teach, runs contrary to the majority of the world, where it's going to, at times, be bound to cause conflict and be and bound to have people to call you things, uh, to label you in certain ways. Why in the world would I want that? Why would I want, as some, many Christians in this world experience, the persecution of it? Well, because it's what you believe, and you believe it because of what you have read. And at the very end of the Gospel of John, It says that Jesus did many more things and there wouldn't be room in the whole world to contain all the books if we were to tell you everything that Jesus did. But these things are written that you might believe. So if you have read God's word and if you've heard the message of the gospel and you believe it, then go out and live it. Don't just believe it and then apologize for it, but go out and believe it, defend it and live for it and let the world know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the way home for us. I'll, I'll just quickly, a Chris, Christmas memory, maybe you have Christmas memories, but uh, we put so much stock into this world sometimes. At Christmas when I was a kid, we d- went to one of two places every year. We either went to Louisiana where we never had snow, and uh, we go to around Shreveport there, and my step-grandmother lived, in a little shack, she was dirt poor. It had a kitchen, a, a room that you would call a living room, very small, and then she had a bedroom. So we never stayed there at the house. But I'd go and, you know, play on the floor with the little toys. She That's how she made a living. She sold the, the little plastic um, uh, uh, soldiers and cowboys and Native Americans and uh, and everything. She she that's how she made a living. So she had thousands of these things all over the floor and I'd just be down there creating uh little battles and all with them. I have great memories there. But that that building, that house, that home that we would go to is gone. Torn down long ago. The other place we go is Mount Juliet, Tennessee where my grandma Stone lived and my grandfather had passed away, but she lived there and it was an active farm and uh, my uncle Clyde still lived there and, and he was married and his wife lived there. And so it was the family place, all the brothers and my, my mom had seven brothers and sisters and everybody come back and it was a great, great place to go. I always remember my, my cousin Kurt when he was really little, he, he was born on a horse. He came out of the womb riding a horse, this kid, and he was on a big uh, quarter horse and uh, I think he was only five or so. And he gets up on that horse, and my Uncle Clyde was always so proud of him for the way he could ride. And Kurt gets on that horse, and he rides it up the steps onto the front porch of the house. And I swear he was trying to take it into the in, through the front door. And my Grandma Stone comes out screaming at him, Kurt, you get that horse off. of you, We're not having a horse in this house. Get that horse out of my home. And uh, just uh, fond memories of that place, great memories. But eventually they tore that house down. They built a development all through there. You go, it's called Stone Ridge. It's down in Mount Juliet and all these big, nice homes. But the homes of my Christmas are gone. I'm just saying that to say, if we're honest with ourselves, we, t- we like to say to ourselves, life is a lot more permanent than it really is. Everything's in transition. And so, for me, the home that I care about is the one up there, the place that Jesus has prepared for me. And I pray this morning as we move towards Christmas that we'll remember that. Jesus comes. He's not born in a home. (laughs) He's born in a transient place. But that's not what he came for, to establish a home on this earth. He came to establish a home in heaven for you and for me. And so, let us sing our song of discipleship this morning. And... uh, and uh truly have that desire what it says in the title here i want to walk as a child of the light may we all have that deep desire to walk as children of god's light this morning let's stand and sing together i always have to say this when i say that jesus is the way the truth and the life and i think that is the uh it's it's the peculiar message of jesus uh, of christianity and it is at the heart when it comes to relating to people of other faiths and beliefs and people who who deny that uh, or may hold some other belief. First of all, I believe we do no other religion or faith a favor by equating them with ours as saying all religions are the same and we're all worshiping the same God. That's what not uh, – Buddhism doesn't even worship a God. So right there, there's a difference. We need to know the differences – we need to celebrate those differences with them. If they believe that, that's, that's fine. But let me tell you the story of Jesus and what I believe. And most people are going to respect you more if you tell them the, the facts of your religion rather than if you try to, uh, you try to melt it all down and just into one lump of wax that we're all just the same uh, because we aren't. Uh, There are many similarities between religions that will cause us to think that they're all the same. Uh, Some of our teachings are the same. Uh, Most of us teach, thou shalt not murder. (laughs) We don't want people to kill each other. We want them to live moral lives. But at the end, at the heart of the Christian faith is Jesus, and we believe it doesn't, nothing else matters except what you believe about Jesus and whether or not you trust him or not. And that's the message we go forth with. And if somebody doesn't like that, Well, you know, you don't go out looking for trouble, but you have to stand firm upon that rock and that confession. So I wanted to share that with you. Um, I I pray uh, that you get home safely. I don't think the snow has accumulated too much, but uh, please, your greatest danger may be setting foot outside our doors (laughs) on these sidewalks and all. Uh, Ron, could you go out for a minute and just quickly do do everything? (laughs) There you go. So you do such a good job of that. But I pray you have a, uh, uh, some of you, I know I've re- talked to some folks, they're already heading out of town, so if you're not going to be here for Christmas, have a Merry Christmas and a good time with your families. But in all things, may we celebrate Jesus Christ and his birth and what he has brought into this world. Let us go forth in his peace, acknowledging that it is Christ who has come to take us to heaven. Not we ourselves, we can't earn our way there, but Jesus Christ has opened the way for us to go home to God. Go in his peace, and amen.